Hi, I'm Xavier McFarlane, and welcome to the Catholic City Podcast from the Mary Foundation. Today's episode features Father John Ricardo. Ordained in 1996 after a life in the professional world, and now a vibrant pastor, Father John is an expert on the theology of the body. He has theological degrees from Sacred Heart Seminary, Gregorian University in Rome, and the Pope John Paul II Institute. We can often feel like our relationship with Jesus has become distant, or not improved in years. Father Ricardo's insights will change your life for the better and get you back on track to growing closer to the most important person in your life, Jesus Christ. But first, if you ever considered becoming a Catholic or are a Catholic seeking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please visit us at catholiccity.com to order our Catholic scapulars, books, booklets, relic prayer medals, and best-selling novels by Bud McFarlane. Sign up for Bud's twice-a-month Catholic City email message, where he's been sharing profound insights, sage advice, and crazy stories for over 25 years. We are also the world's largest distributor of the Purple Scapular, given by Mary to the approved French mystic Marie-Julie Jehenny in the late 1800s. You can learn more at our website, catholiccity.com, which is the online home of the Mary Foundation. Since the dawn of the internet, we've been a world leader in delivering proven, free, or low-cost tools for evangelization right to your door. And now, let's begin. Tonight is uh, something I've been dreaming about for a long time, to get a good friend back. I wanted Father John to come for a couple of reasons. One is, as a young man and as a young follower of Jesus Christ, I grew sadder and sadder and more and more tired. The fact that followers of Jesus Christ from different areas of the world and different denominational groups and different backgrounds, it seemed like our job was to never, ever acknowledge what we shared in common, but to always exacerbate the differences. And I would say in my life, it was characterized by mistrust. And not just by mistrust, but something even worse, by caricature. You talk about someone you disagree with, and everything that happens and everything you describe is out of what? Some picture you've created yourself that is hurtful and harmful and never true, sometimes partially true, but never fully true. And some years ago, through a set of wonderful circumstances, Dan Kopp and Dan Mountney connected me with Father John Ricardo, St. Anastasia, and uh, we started a friendship. And so I bring him tonight to celebrate our common love for Jesus Christ, because I want us, I want us to come together as one, and so does Father John. But I'm bringing him for another reason. The other reason is, if I were going to make a major life decision and I was going to talk to five people about it, one of them would be him. For his wisdom, for his insight, for his love, for his direction. And um, I hope this continues to be a lifelong tradition as long as he's alive, that from time to time he's here to speak to us in the name of Jesus. He's going to come and to share what is on his heart. Without further ado, would you just welcome Father John Ricardo to the stage, please. Thank you. I think the third reason is because he just didn't want to preach this weekend. But <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest reason of all. I even get the candles over there to my left, make it look like a little Catholic place. (laughs) Evening, everybody. I'm delighted to be with you. I really have something that I want to... I feel like the Lord's really asked me to share something with you all tonight. That's really on my heart. But it requires begging the Holy Spirit to really descend. So before we do anything, let's ask that to happen. Heavenly Father, we do give you great praise and thanks for the wondrous gift of life. Thank you that in your love you have formed us out of nothing called us into being. Uh, For each of us by name, you have sent your son. 
into the world so as to suffer and to die and to rise so as to make peace between us and you. Father, we praise you for the gift of your son. Lord, we ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us tonight. Father, I ask that by the power of your Spirit, who dwells within us, that we would come more deeply to know you as our Father, and to truly know your Son, not to know about him. Father, our only hope is in Jesus, and in his blood which was poured out for us. And so we thank you in advance for the gift of your Spirit here tonight. Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us, however it is that you want us to hear you. That we might leave here with confidence and assurance in you and in Jesus, who is the good shepherd who has laid down his life. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, this is, uh, this is really a pretty extraordinary thing. I don't know anybody who does this, quite frankly. Um, for the life of me, I, uh, I can't fathom a pastor in my area inviting me to come speak at his church on a weekend. Um, as I was praying about uh, our gathering here tonight, and in a particular way about my brother, about Steve, you know, this passage in Romans, which is one of my favorite passages, Romans 12, came to mind. Paul says, let love be genuine. Actually, it's literally sincere. Sincere is one of these great words. It's one of my favorite words. Um, it's a great word for marriage. Let love be sincere. Sincere comes from two Latin words, sincere. It means without wax. You go, what's so big about that? Huh? Without wax. Well, you're getting married. You're first century living in Rome, and you kind of you just got a house. You want to buy something, so you're looking for some statues for the house, and you walk down to Walmart or whatever it is they walk down to, and you know, here's the real cheap statues, and then here's the kind of middle of the road statues, and here's like the top of the line, out of this world statues. Those statues, which cost the most, are sincere. They're without wax. That's the image that Paul uses for our love for each other. Let it be pure absolutely pure. Don't let it have a mixture of wax and clay or wax and marble. Let it be the real thing. Paul goes on to say, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Before I do anything tonight, I want to honor Steve. It has been a tremendous gift for me personally as uh, his brother in Christ, um, his younger brother in Christ. <laughs> Nine, nine years, his younger brother in Christ. <laughs> I jumped off the stage today. I don't think he can do that. <laughs> I won't do it again, though. Um, but you've been a, a great gift for me as well. And um, kind, of a, kind of a freak meeting, you know. Uh, Steve and I kept hearing, where's Regina? I saw you somewhere. So Regina says, you've got to meet uh, Steve Andrews. He's a pastor at Kensington. I'm like, why do I have to meet Steve Andrews? So somehow we got set up. We went out to lunch and just kind of from that moment have uh, kind of clicked. And um, the Lord's already built a, a great bond and friendship. I, I certainly feel it, even though I'm not in this area anymore. Um, I'm beyond grateful for you and for uh, your welcoming me into this place uh, in times past and again here tonight. Honor is one of these extremely important things to do. Our culture tends not to honor. We flatter. Uh, we use negative humor a lot. Somehow that's become, especially for men, that's the way men honor each other. We tell off-color jokes or inappropriate jokes. or we, 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 Somehow we've lost the ability to just say forthrightly, you are a tremendous man. And these things in particular I am grateful for in your life. This is hugely important for parents with their children, especially because you have to discipline your children so often, which you do. You're, you're, you're in the task of civilizing barbarians. That's what it means to raise... Sorry, kids, but that's what you are. And so are we. So, uh, 
But because you have to discipline your kids so often, it's very important that we make sure that we also hold up in front of our kids. You have this in you, and I see it, and it's very good. That's an extremely important task uh, for anybody in authority, and it's a hugely important task in marriage in general. Husbands and wives should be seeking to outdo one another in showing honor. We're all competitive. I didn't get checked at the door when we got married or whatever it is we're living. Uh, But the evil one can use the competitiveness in us for disadvantage. The Holy Spirit at work within us wants to use it for an advantage. He wants to use it to outdo each other in showing honor. So if you want to be competitive in your marriage, here's what you do. You wake up every morning and you say, I am going to outdo you in showing kindness. And I just want to try to outdo him in showing honor. It's a, a tremendous gift to, uh, to have him in my life. And, uh, and Kensington is, in a really odd kind of way, I've just had a, I have a lot of affection for this place. I've gotten to know a fair number of people from here over the last, I think, five years or so, six years maybe, seven years I guess it is now, um, mainly from the things that we did together. huh? Um, we were blessed to have, I think we had an event over at St. Anastasia when I was down there, um, which was just kind of what Protestants, Catholics can learn from each other. I think it was pastor and priest or something like that. Dan Kopp and another guy, Bobby Hesley, uh, came and gave a talk. Another f- number of folks came. Then we had another night where we just got together and prayed. That's all we did. Um, then we had another night where I think we did here, which was on the Da Vinci Code when that came out. Remember that? And uh, just tried to help people get prepared for that movie, understand the truth of what it was that was being attacked about the, the Lord and his disciples. And then I think the last thing that we did together here was a, an, an evening for fathers and sons, which we did over in the chapel shortly after the chapel came out. So I have a tremendous amount of affection um, for this place as well. I pray for you all, and I, I sincerely beg your prayers for me. I think this is a, um, a great paradigm for how Christians need to be together. You know, Steve and I are pretty candid with each other. We don't get together on Sunday typically to worship, huh? We have serious differences. Some of us here today have serious differences. That's all right. Um, the, the differences are talked about, and they're hashed out, and they can even be argued, not contentiously, but they can be argued, but they're argued inside, uh, together, as brothers, or as brothers and sisters, sitting around a table. But outside, we have to be one, outside being in the world. Uh, it is imperative, and increasingly so in a culture which is more and more hostile to Christianity and to the disciples of Jesus, and which challenges us to live a life of discipleship, that we outside, in the face of the world, which does not believe and does not believe in no small part because of our differences and how we attack each other, it's imperative that we are one, even if we can't all be together on Sunday. It's imperative, whether it's in the uh, defense of the church and the faith against the new atheism, which if you've got kids on college campuses, um, you know is on the rise Christianity, by and large, today is attacked increasingly so as being for those who are irrational, illogical, unintelligent, uncritical, when in fact it is entirely the opposite. We need to be united in being able to give an explanation for the hope that is ours, as Peter talks about in one of his letters. Huh? It's imperative that we be united in defending the dignity of the human person, which is increasingly attacked and degraded in our culture, whether that's in abortion or pornography or poverty. We have to be one as followers of Jesus and standing up on behalf of the race which he has entered into and become one of and suffered and died for. We have to be one in our defense of marriage. We have to be one in uh, standing up and being able to acknowledge that the only truth, or the only hope rather, the only hope, Steve and I talk about this often when we're together, whether it's for the city of Detroit, for the state of Michigan, for the United States of America, for the world, for our human race, the only hope is Jesus, period. 
economic plan is going to be important, but it isn't going to save us. They didn't know how to, what to do with the debt. It's important, but it isn't going to save us. Only his blood poured out for us. So we've got to be together. So I'm delighted that we can be together here tonight and for the times that we've been in the past. And all of that is because of him. I mean, it really is. You're the one who's invited me. You're the one who has the heart for ecumenism that I do as well. Um, so thank you very much, brother. I'm very grateful. Here's what's on my mind. Past week, couple weeks have been pretty tough for me. Um, as a priest, I'm around death all the time. And because I'm around death all the time and because I'm the pastor where I am, uh, people lean on me to somehow give hope and comfort to them in the midst of their grief. Death is always difficult, always, especially for those of us who are left behind. It's been extremely difficult of late for us uh, at Our Lady Good Council, which is where I'm pastor, um, just because of the nature of some of the deaths that we've had just in the last 12 days or so. So 12 days ago, I buried a 37-year-old man who just didn't wake up one morning. He left behind a 5-year-old girl and a 3-year-old girl. After the funeral, as we were at the graveside, the 3-year-old is just standing there looking at her father lying in the casket. And she turns and kind of looks to nobody in particular and says, is he going to wake up now? Two days later, a 48-year-old man who got cancer five months ago, melanoma, quickly deteriorated and died. He leaves behind a widow and a 20-year-old daughter. Last Sunday, I got a call on our emergency line. Do you guys have emergency lines? Or do they just like show up the bat phone or the, the big wings of the bat for you? How do they reach you? Do they reach you? They reach me. So they reach me. I get an emergency call at about 10 o'clock Sunday morning before I'm on my way to Mass. And uh, it's a young man who had just graduated from high school about a year ago. He's on a college campus right now. We've become somewhat close. He says, uh, you're never going to believe this, but Emma just died. Emma was another girl who went to uh, high school in the area. She went to Divine Child. She was uh, Michigan State. She was going to graduate this coming December. She was 21. She had a ruptured spleen, wasn't sick, wasn't anything. She just didn't wake up. We buried her Thursday morning. If a funeral can be beautiful, it was a beautiful funeral. Because thanks be to God, her mom and dad have extraordinary faith, as do her two brothers who are left behind. But I got an email from uh, a friend of mine, who's a woman about my age, who was at the funeral, and she said just something to the effect of, um, I wanted to thank you for, uh, for letting the Lord speak through you. I'm not sure that before today I ever really believed. I'm at church every week, trying to live a good life, but I don't know if I have faith. That's gotten me pondering uh, increasingly so uh, this question that I want to frame or pose to us here tonight for our reflection throughout this Memorial Day weekend. The question is this. Are we, are you, am I, are we trying to live a good life or do we know Jesus? Are we trying to be good or do we know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? My sense, I don't care if I'm in Kensington or if I'm at Our Lady Good Counsel or I'm at St. Anastasia or I'm at First Presbyterian, doesn't matter where I am, my sense and my experience from many people that I know is that the church is made up more and more of people who are trying to be good, do not know God. Now, just to clarify, it is extremely important to be good. All right? Don't misunderstand me. We will be judged according to what we do. I'm not saved by what I do. I'm saved by faith. I'm saved by grace. But I'm going to be judged by what I do. Jesus says this in, in the Gospel of John. He tells us, he who loves me is the one who keeps my commandments. He who doesn't love me doesn't keep my commandments. It's pretty clear, huh? When the Lord comes back, I'm going to be judged. The, the books are going to be open. I'm going to be judged according to what I did and did not do according to the flesh. Matthew 25, what's it tell me, huh? When the Son of Man comes, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, the sheep on one hand, the goats on the other. And what are we going to do? We're going to be judged 
according to what we did and did not do. We did, did we recognize the Lord and, and our brother and sister who was hungry, who was naked, who was sick, who was imprisoned, who was alone, or did we not? That's how the judgment works, huh? So how we live is important. That's, I'm not trying to minimize that by any means. But however important that is, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're living a Christian life. A Christian knows God, doesn't know about him, knows him, has a friendship with him, is in an intimate relationship with him. Even if I don't hear him all the time, I know him. And I'm not sure how many people in our churches right now do. For us in the Catholic Church, oftentimes we talk about we have people who've been sacramentalized. They've never been evangelized. They've never heard the gospel. They never responded to the gospel. But we've got an abundance of people like that all over. Do you know him? Here's a test, maybe. Psalm 23. This is a passage that's been in my prayer often of late. You may not know Psalm 23 by Psalm 23, but you know it the moment you hear it, huh? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Note that please. It's really important that we don't get a misunderstanding of what faith does and doesn't do. Sometimes I think we get the impression that faith means that no matter what's going on, our response to that is supposed to be something like, well, you know, it's really not that bad. Somehow it's just magically taken away. That's not at all what David says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's a real place. Talk to the people who've been in war. Talk to some of our brothers and sisters here who are veterans who've come back from Afghanistan or Iraq or Pakistan or who fought in the Pacific theater or in Vietnam or Korea or wherever. My dad was a World War II vet. They've been in the valley of the shadow of death. Others of us are in the valley of the shadow of death with troubles in our marriage, with addictions that we're trying to break, with being out of work for however long we've been out of work, with grieving the loss of a loved one, maybe a spouse or a child or a parent. David's not trying to say, hey, you know what? It's really not that bad. It's bad. It's the valley of the shadow of death. It's a candid acknowledgement. And here's, I think, where we learn whether we're just trying to be good or whether, in fact, we're living a Christian life. Because what's David going to say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. That's why. See, when a trial comes, whatever the trial is, whether it's death or job loss or falling on our face again because we thought we had mastered something and it turns out we haven't, we reach for a bottle or log onto the internet or whatever it is that people struggle with, that we struggle with. Once we get into the valley, here's where we learn, what am I doing? Am I just trying to be good? Or do I know the Lord? David, because he knows the Lord, is not afraid. That's why he's not afraid. All our goodness, though important, by all means, won't help us one little bit the moment you walk into that valley. And it's a question of when, not if, as most of us by this point in our lives know. The valley is real. One of my favorite lines, in the, it's in the book of Sirach uh, in the Old Testament. Some of you have it in your Bible. Some of us don't. Referred to by some as the apocryphal books. The Catholics call it the deuterocanonical books. But the second chapter of Sirach says this, My son or my daughter, when you aspire to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for an ordeal. This is not romance. Prepare yourself for an ordeal. If you would come after me, Jesus says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That doesn't feel good. And deny yourself doesn't mean you're going to do all sorts of things of self-discipline. It means more literally like sign over the rights of your life. That's what that means. It's a legal description there. 
So faith is not a dream. I'm thinking of this 37-year-old widow, 48-year-old widow, this couple, Marty and Carol, who's now left without their 21-year-old. Despite their faith, they are in the valley of the shadow of death. But the only thing that can help me is to know that I am not alone, that you are with me. And it's only because of that that David can say he fears no evil. Who is with me? Well, Jesus uses this image of the shepherd, huh? John 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. No, kill is somehow in the middle there, as if to say there's something worse. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, as we're talking about in this Memorial Day weekend, huh? Lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. I remember a friend of mine, he was a bishop in San Francisco years ago, and he was telling the story of a a priest who was doing missionary work down in El Salvador during the time of the revolution down there. And after having been there about five, six years, he found out that his name was on one of the hit lists. So they're going around killing people who were stirring up trouble. His name was on the list. They found out about this. They whisked him out of the country. They brought him back to California. He'd been home in California, I don't know, maybe two, three months. Um, He was uh, staying someplace in a parish or whatnot in one of the Catholic churches. One day his parents woke up and they found a note in their mailbox from their son. It said this. said, Mom and Dad, know this. I love you. I love you greatly. But you'll probably never see me again because I'm going back to El Salvador. Because even though I know my life is in jeopardy and my name is on that list, I was a shepherd for these people. And a shepherd can't run. And he died. The hireling works for pay. The good shepherd, when the wolf comes, is there. The good shepherd, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, is with you. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Underline that. My own know me. Do we? Do you right now? Do I right now? Am I living in abundant confidence or not? As the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will heed my voice so there shall be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my father. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. That doesn't just mean an ending life. That wouldn't be a gift. Can you imagine living here forever? That would not be a great thing. Get cancer, never die. Always rain every day. Get three inches of rain. That's not a gift. Eternal life doesn't just mean unending life. Eternal life means the fullness of life. It's abundant life, huh? They shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. See the image there? The Lord's trying to tell you, your life rests in my hand, and my grip is impenetrable. No one can take you out of it. You have nothing to fear. Why? Not because bad things aren't going to happen. No, bad things are going to happen. They have and they will continue. But because no matter what happens, 
your life is here. It's in my hand. But the Lord challenges us over and over again. Do we know that? Do I walk in confidence as a result of that? Or am I just trying to be good so that the anvil doesn't fall on me and I can get some sort of fire insurance? Because the good shepherd is with us, because he is the one who has laid down his life, because he is the one who never runs, because of that, I have no reason to be afraid. But the challenge is, are these right now for you and me both? Are they just words we hear? Or do you and I know the reality behind the words? How do we know the Lord? How does this happen? This would seem to be a key question. It doesn't come by rolling up your sleeves and trying harder. It doesn't come by reading books, although there's lots of good books to read, by all means. It comes by building a friendship with him. Obviously, you build a friendship with the Lord the same way you build a friendship with anybody else. You talk to him and you listen to him. What many Christians are trying to get away with, with a relationship with God, would never work with any other person. Or at least they'd never call it a friendship. By all means, we ask the people that we love for things, huh? So you, you call your wife or your husband, hey, on the way home from work, do you mind picking up some milk? Sure, be glad to. Hey, and we got to take back that DVD. Can you just drop that off in the box? Hey, absolutely. Hey, and you know what? We need some, uh, we need some Tylenol. Can you get some of that too? Sure, absolutely. If all we do is keep asking people for things, the people that we're asking for for things, sooner or later realize, I don't think I'm your friend. I think you're just using me. A lot of us relate to God that way. All we do is ask him for things. We're supposed to ask. Jesus says, you know, knock, seek, ask. So by all means, there's nothing wrong with asking. But if that's the only part of our relationship with the Lord, how much of a relationship really is it? How much of a friendship is it? Remember that, that's that odd passage in John's gospel. I remember wrestling with this for so long where the centurion, I think it's the centurion, he comes to Jesus, I think it's in John 4, but um, he comes up to the Lord, he says, Lord, my son is dying, please come. Remember Jesus' response to this? He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Now, that should make you go, uh, wait a minute. Here. Wait a minute. This is God in the flesh, God who is love, pure goodness. Uh, what kind of response is that? Right? My son's dying. I know you can do miracles. I've heard about the miracles you've done. I come to you because I know you can help. I say, Lord, my son's dying. And you who are all love and all goodness, look at me and go, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. The man looks at Jesus and says, Lord, please, my son is dying. And the Lord says, go. Your son's going to be fine. I remember wrestling with that one day in, in a chapel where I was praying. I just said, Lord, okay, I don't get this. Help me understand what the heck you're trying to teach us here. And this was what I feel like the Lord just shared with me at the moment, which is a appropriate for this discussion on prayer and this friendship with the Lord that he wants to have with us. There was almost like a sadness in Jesus, if you will, in this. Meaning, it's almost as though if the man hadn't had a son who was sick, he never would have come to him. That's the only reason he's there. And by all means, the Lord wants to help us. But what he most wants to give us is himself. That's the gift. Friendship with him. A relationship with the good shepherd. Knowledge of the father. The answer to all of our challenging questions in life. Like, why am I here? Where am I going? And how to get there which every culture until ours racked their brains over. We never ask those questions anymore. And so we just numb ourselves to death or amuse ourselves to death. That which I felt like the Lord really wanted to share with us is this passage in John 14. It starts in verse 15. We already said this first line. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor, another counselor or another advocate to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you desolate or orphans or friendless. That's a promise from God. God doesn't lie. That's a promise. I will not leave you orphans. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How does the world give peace? Takes away all the conflict. That's the only way the world knows how to give peace. Eliminate conflict. Good luck with that. Seriously, good luck with that. Tell that to the Palestinians and the Jews. Good luck with that. That will never happen. It will never happen because there will never not be conflict within my heart and yours. Jesus says, I don't give peace like that. It's not necessary for the conflict to be eliminated before you can know my peace. My peace, Jesus says, comes smack in the middle of conflict. That's where his peace comes. Wrestling with things in our own lives personally, struggling deeply with the grief over a loved one, on our face in prayer, frustrated over the fact that we still don't have a job even though we've been trying to faithfully serve the Lord, difficulties in our marriage, whatever it might be, his peace comes right in the middle of that. Or at least it wants to give it right in the middle of that. And it happens by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will give you another counselor or another advocate. In Greek, it's paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete. It's not going to give us a little bird. That would not help. Paraclete, what's a paraclete? It's hardly a word we use, huh? What's an advocate? An advocate is someone who speaks on my behalf. What's a paraclete? Paraclete's a legal term. Here's what it means, kind of loosely translated. The one who answers the cry. That's the Holy Spirit. I will give you another one who will dwell in you. He'll be in you, and he will answer the cry. What cry? Remember Philip in the Last Supper when Jesus is talking about all that's about to happen, and Philip at a certain point looks at him and he says, Jesus, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. That's the cry. That's the cry of every single human heart. Show me the Father. Lord, let me know who you are, because I'm in the middle of a valley which is dark as night and rough and full of things that threaten to shake my peace and which without you will overwhelm me. So show me who you are. Help me to know you. Help me to know, not to know about, to know personally, me, John, you, Bob, Phyllis, Alice, know by name that my life is in your hands and your grip surrounds me and nothing, I don't care what it is, can pull me out of it. Help me to know that the one who is my shepherd is the one who has become man, who has mounted a cross, who has poured out his blood, who has risen from the dead for me, that my life matters to you, that regardless of how it seems now, there's a plan. A priest friend of mine uses oftentimes as an image, he says, you know, life is like this uh, medieval tapestry. You ever go down to the DIA or some of the museums or travel to Europe and you walk into these old, you know, it could be a, an old castle or a palace or whatever. And there's a tapestry. It's like the size of the whole wall, the back of the stage. And it's this giant scene that they usually put up there to keep the place warm or whatnot. It just happens to have something beautiful on it as well. 
So it could be a pastoral scene. It could be a biblical image. could be people out on a hunt shooting deer. Who knows what it is? It's a beautiful tapestry from the front. But if you walk behind it, if you stand back here on the other side of the tapestry, it's just ugly as all get out. It's a bunch of strings hanging down. You can't see anything back here. It's just uh, chaos. Makes no sense. He says, that's life. Life looks like chaos oftentimes. Looks like no rhyme or reason. 21-year-old girl, gone. Steve said he just buried a 26-year-old, gone. Marriage in trouble, chaos. Children away from the faith, chaos. What scripture does, what the Holy Spirit wants to do is bring us around and give us a glimpse on the front of the image. That's what I pray the Holy Spirit will do with us tonight. Give us a glimpse from the front. Here's how it all works out. How it all works out is the Father in whose hands your life is, is going to make everything work for good. One day, for real, there will be a place where there is no sickness, no suffering, no sadness, no tears. He himself, he promises this, will wipe from your eyes every tear, for real. Heaven is for real. It's not just a cute little title for a book. It's reality. That's the other side of the tapestry. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives. The cry is, show me who is in charge. Is anybody running this place? Or is it all just spiraling out of control in the hands of leaders or who knows who? And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do within us. The Holy Spirit is in you and me to do two things most significantly. Show me the Father. He cries out. Huh? Remember Paul in Galatians 4? He cries out, Abba, Father. He says the same thing in Romans 8. Abba, Father. That's the Spirit within me bringing me into this relationship, helping me to know who is my Father. Abba is not the cry, Daddy. It's not some sappy little cry. Abba is this cry of absolute certainty. A friend of mine used to teach over in the Holy Land. He says, you'd go into a grocery store sometimes and you see a little boy in aisle two, you know, next to the crackers or whatever. And his dad is misplaced. He's walking around with a who knows what else is. And he's picking up some dessert and the little boy, he's lost. And he just cries out, Abba. And dad walks over and gets him. That's the cry of Abba. It's confidence. You're here. I know you're here. Where'd you go? Come get me. Pick me up. And dad comes. That's what the Spirit's crying out within you and me, if we will make the time to do it. The other thing he does is he shows me the face of Jesus. And he helps me to understand all that Jesus has done on my behalf. So that I know when I'm in, when, not if, when I'm in the valley, that I have no reason to be afraid. Because I'm not alone. And I don't just have anybody with me. I have somebody with me who's stronger than death who loves me far more passionately than anybody ever has or ever will. That's why we don't fear, but only if we know God. And he can be known, and here's the kicker, he wants to be known. It pleases him that you know him. He's not bored, he's not lonely, he doesn't need friends. He's not sitting there at his computer waiting for someone to friend him. He is infinitely happy. We're the ones who need friends. But he wants your friendship, and it pleases him to offer that to you and to me. I don't know why. How could it be that he who made everything that is would want you or me for a friend? But he does, and he proves it by laying down his life. That's the God we serve. That's the God who wants. So in the days ahead, huh? here's what I would exhort us to do, or again, to the degree that I can. Huh? I just feel like the Lord is asking me to say this to us. Maybe it's just to me, but I don't think it's just to me. Beg the Holy Spirit in your prayer to show you the Father. Beg the Holy Spirit 
who dwells in you, whose temple you are by baptism. Beg him, help me to know the Lord and all that he has done for me. And the reasons why I should not be afraid in the midst of a world which has so many occasions for fear. Help me to know him. Help me not just to live a good life. Help me to walk in confidence and assurance. And in doing so, to so provoke other people that they ask me why. Then I can tell them. But no one's going to ask us anything if we just look like the people outside. No one's going to come to us and ask us for anything if we look as anxious, fearful, and restless as the world at large. They're only going to come to us if in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, we aren't afraid. May God do that in us. May his spirit descend upon this place, this moment, this night, and in the days ahead that we might know the Father and his love for us personally and Jesus and all that he has done for us by name. We hope you were inspired by this podcast and we encourage you to share it on social media and warmly invite you to distribute our free Catholic scapulars, medals, books, and booklets to your family, friends, parish, and social groups. Visit us online at catholiccity.com for more information. The real work of the Mary Foundation is accomplished by people just like you. There are three ways to help. First, please pray for everyone who hears, reads, or wears our materials. Second, share them with everyone you know, family, friends, fellow parishioners, and the people you work with. Only you can reach them. Finally, Please help us financially. It seems impossible, but we don't do traditional fundraising here at the Mary Foundation. We rely on your generosity and God's providence. By the way, if you, your parish, or your Catholic group would like to distribute our materials by the dozens, hundreds, or even thousands, all we ask for is help covering our materials costs. So please visit us online for suggested donations. For our Canadian friends and those outside the United States, only online requests are accepted, so please refer to the special shipping rates listed on our website. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to working with you. May God bless you always. And now, here's a short preview of our Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet, the most popular rosary according in the history of the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For an increase in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen. All rights are reserved and any duplication without permission is prohibited.